The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. Numbers, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, 1 through 15, and verse 14 being the major part of the text. <clears throat> the, t- the title is, and I, I hope of any of the sermons that, and I, I pray that every time you come to church you say, God, give me something tonight. See, preaching is not a one-way deal. It's reciprocal. In other words, I preach, but if you got your mind on a problem, or if you got your mind, you're mad at your husband, mad at your wife, you're mad at your this or that, and you got all kinds of things, then your spirit is closed. And it'll be very hard for the Spirit of God to get through to you. And so the, a guy can get up here and be the best sermon ever preached in the world, and you miss it completely and go home and say, well, I don't know, can't, an hour from now, I can't even remember what it was. That's because your spirit was closed. It wasn't because the preacher failed. It was because the spirit was closed. See, I believe if you get up here and read the Bible and your spirit's open, it'll bless you. How do I know that? When I read the Bible and my spirit's open, God speaks to me. Are you with me? If I read the Bible and I'm just trying to get it done, get her done, da-da-da, I got something else going on down the road, I read about it getting nothing out of it. I, I leave the way I came. So it has a whole lot to do with the preparation of your spirit when you come into a place that the Bible is going to be taught or preached. So the responsibility is not always, don't always point the finger, I preacher, you know, I never got anything out of it. I've sat under lots of different men with lots of different styles. Some of them were boring, and some of them were boring, meaning they were monotonal, they didn't have put any energy into it, and that's just not who I am, and obviously I had a hard time with them, but I always received something from them because I went there with the attitude, God, give me something from This guy who speaks in monotone voice and puts no energy in it. Because he would read the Bible and speak of the Word of God, and it would speak to me. And so I just encourage you, you come to church, say, God, give me something tonight. Don't go away without something from God. This this message tonight may be one of the more important subjects uh, that I speak on in a long time. It's where has remorse gone? Where has remorse gone? Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. He had married an Ethiopian woman. The majority of commentators on that said he married a black woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the answer is what? 
What's the answer? <clears throat> Had God spoken by Miriam and Moses or, or and Aaron? Yeah, the truth. They were not lying. God had worked through them. God had used them and worked through them. And the Lord heard it. Get that. Put your arms circle it. The Lord heard it. You can't whisper something in the inner chambers of your home that God doesn't hear it. And oftentimes in the Bible, it's the stuff that you are actually speaking without a crowd. You're not on the phone. You're not on the net. You're not trying to, but you're speaking it in such a way that maybe just a few folks can hear it or you, maybe just you, but it's it's an iniquity that God hears. That's what he heard there. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. That's a great compliment. He was not weak, he was meek. And the Lord Jesus, like him, was meek. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle congregation, and they three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. You can't give a bigger compliment than that. Two, so far, two massive compliments have been given to Moses. Number one, he's meek. And number two, he's going to do and be faithful with what God, that's God's business. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, no parables. And the similitude of the Lord shall be, he behold, wherefore then were ye, speaking of course to Aaron and Miriam there, not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of the mother's womb. Leprosy, of course, is, a, I believe, a bacteria that just eats the skin and eats your flesh, and you're still alive. Actually, it's a flesh-eating bacteria. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And verse 14 is a key verse here. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, she, should, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and after that let her be, be received again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not until Miriam was brought in again. Where has remorse gone in our society? The Bible talks about an adulterous woman, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20, as having no remorse about her sin. It says, such, an, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. She's not ashamed. There are pa parenting philosophies today and in our day that should 
that, that say that we should not embarrass our kids publicly. They say if we embarrass our children, it will hurt their self-image, and it will cause them to lose confidence in themselves. That is as opposite the Bible as you can get. No man and no one is supposed to have confidence in your flesh. Nobody. And <laughs> we're not to look onto ourselves as though we're something real good. When the Bible says there's not one good thing in us. See, if we just read Romans chapter 3 and a few other places, where our self-image is going to be in tune with God's self-image of us. In other words, how does God look at us? And we've had a, we've had a day where parents have been told, you need to go to your kids and tell them, you're great, you're good, you're great, you're good, you're great, you're good. <clears throat> Parenting philosophies out there say that we're not to spank our children. Because if you spank them, or if you do spank them, you're to immediately hug them and comfort them. Because we, we worry about giving our children what they call over-grief, or, or the fact that they would gr over-grieve, and they may end up getting bitter at you and hating you. They may think that you do not love them. <clears throat> I was, uh, years ago, I was in carpet business, and I was asked to measure homes, and I'd go in, measure a home, a couple rooms or so, give them a bid on how much carpet would be installed and all that. I went to this one home, and uh, this woman had about a four-year-old kid there, and she uh, began to talk to me, and we, I began to talk to her about what room she wanted done and what she wanted done, and this kid just would not leave us alone. I mean, just would not leave us alone. I couldn't hardly talk. I couldn't talk to the woman. I mean, he just would come up. My, you know, just he, he would just come in and make himself a pest, just butt in the conversation. I told him, ma'am, I need to hear you real, I need to hear you, and we need to have a, because uh, this is, this is detailed information we're going through, and I want to make sure I get your job right. She says, okay, so she tells little Billy, she tells little Billy, she says, uh, now Billy, we're talking here to this man, and I, you know, would you go play? Billy proceeds to throw himself into a tantrum, which is a Hindu word for a demon, by the way, and that's the truth threw a tantrum, and uh, threw himself on the floor and started kicking the floor. You've seen it in the grocery stores or wherever it's been. Throw it, throw it. Oh, you know, yeah, yelling, screaming. I said, ma'am, I can't, I can't hear anything. I, I don't know what's, I can't, I can't work like this, man. She goes over there, and he is just throwing his fists and throwing his feet and throwing his feet, and I'm expecting pretty soon him to have a low voice and levitate. <clears throat> And so he's doing all that. She goes over there. I'm thinking, good. She's going to give him a good old-fashioned barnstorming whipping. I'm gonna, I won't be here to see it. Hallelujah. No. She goes over there and hugs him. I love you. I love you. She forces a hug on him. Forces. Now, he's hitting around her head like he's going to hit her. I'm thinking he's going to hit her pretty soon. But he's flailing his arms around. And she grabs him in the middle and hugs him. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he says, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Now, I didn't say it as serious as he said it. And she says, oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. That woman had been poisoned. I wouldn't have dreamed of telling my dad I hated him. 
It didn't even come into the, as Brother Nick would say, it didn't even come up on the radar. I, I pick up your statements, brother. It didn't come up on the radar, man. I hate you. <clears throat> Needless to say, he won. I left. Never did your job. I told him I'm not interested in the work. I, I, I got to go. Because I was afraid I was going to go to jail. <clears throat> I excused myself and left. I witnessed a Christian daddy spank his children for a spankable offense. And just as soon as he got done spanking the kid, he goes over, he, the kid, he just finished spanking the kid. He reaches, grunts over there and hugs the kid and says, I love you. I love you. Daddy loves you. The kid wasn't ready for that. He was still in pain of being spanked. There was no time for the kid to feel badly about directly disobeying his daddy, which was his authority, there was no remorse time to, to, to meditate over what wrong he had done. No sorrow time for hurting his daddy and embarrassing his daddy in front of other people. There's just something wrong with the scenarios I've just given you. And biblically, they are wrong. Zephaniah, the Bible talks about the unjust having no shame for what they do. Zephaniah 3, 5 says, The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light and faileth not. But the unjust knoweth no shame. Where has shame gone? Where has remorse gone? I remember numbers of you in this room, when you received a spanking from your parents, you were sent to your room to think about it. Your dad said, I want you to go to your room and think about what you've done now. And I would, I would go to my room and I would sit there crying and the pain and I would think that, man, the devil caught me into doing this and here I, I did what he said and now I got a whipping. And that time of remorse, there was a time of, and then I would go back to my dad and I would say, dad, please forgive me. Please forgive me for doing that. There was a time of meditation. And by the way, unless you got that, it wasn't over. You had to come to the conclusion that what you did was wrong and have honest sorrow about what you did and then go back to the, your parent, either your, in this case, dad or mom, and ask them to forgive you. It, the whipping was just the immediate thrust of the whole thing. Many of you old parents know that's exactly what you did to your children. <clears throat> there is such a thing as sorrow or remorse that we need to feel as Christians. Take your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 10. That's a key text, proof text passage. <clears throat> Paul speaking there, where he says, For though I made you sorry, these Corinthians, of course, 1 Corinthians, he wrote a tough letter to them, amen? And they got sorry about what they did. They were doing all kinds of things wrong in 1 Corinthians. Man, oh man. I mean, they just had lists of things they were doing wrong. And so he writes them a tough letter. And he tells them, this is what you're doing wrong, and that's what you're doing wrong. And he gives them strict instructions based on what the Holy Spirit had told him. And he caused them to become sorrowful that they had sinned and were doing what they were doing. And so in 2 Corinthians, is more of a personal letter of Paul. It's where he kind of 
kind of bears his heart to him. He says, though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it, what, it was but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. Now he's just not happy that it, they, 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 they had remorse or shame, ultimately sorrow. That wasn't the point of what he was trying to do there. But that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner. He said, I didn't do this to hurt you. That ye might receive damage by us or nothing. For, and this is the key phrase. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh that. There's different kinds of repentance. When people get caught doing something bad, they're upset that they got caught. They repent that they got caught. That's not biblical repentance. They repent, secondly, that there is a punishment, that there is consequences to what they did. That's not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is a sense that you have violated God Almighty and you have hurt Him and you are in remorse and shame, consequently sorrow that you hurt Him and you repent that you caused him damage. It can be translated to your parents. It can be translated to your friends. It can be translated to your, your spouse. But you're, you truly and honestly are sorrowful. Not sorry that you got caught. Not sorry that there was consequences. When Jim Benny was here, constantly with the Bouchers, that was one of his biggest concerns that the Bouchers did not have sorrow that they got publicly embarrassed or that they lost their, that he lost his ministry and she lost her ministry. That's not the, that was not the problem. The problem was God, that there was a sin committed against God. Brother and sister in Christ, we need to be a whole lot more concerned of what God thinks rather than what people think. We need to care what God cares about. We need to have a heart in tune with Him to where we're grieved when we sin. Number one, that it's vertical. And then, of course, you're grieved in the horizontal damage. Every sin you commit is vertical first, and then goes the ripples go out and, and hurt horizontally. What did David say when he killed Uriah and, and committed adultery with Bathsheba? Against thee, and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Are you kidding, David? Are you kidding? You killed Uriah. You cut off his family. He didn't have no grandkids, no kids. I don't know if he had kids, no kids, no grandkids. You cut the man's family off. You cut his name off. That was big, by the way, back then. Big. So, David said, that's not really where the sin was. The sin was against the God who called me from shepherding out there as a little shepherd boy and had me become the ruler of Israel. And that if I would have wanted something, all I would have had to do was go and ask him, and he would have helped me. But I didn't go and ask him. I went out on my own, took what I could take with the power that he had given me. And that was the real sin. It was a violation of the trust that God... A man after God's own heart said the right thing when he repented in Psalm 51. 
and God received it from him. The word sorrow there means sadness, means grievous, means heaviness. Where has it gone? We have so preached, we have so mispreached, not us per se, but Christianity has so overemphasized the love of God and the grace of God that they have distorted God and made him a non-biblical God. God expects you and wants you to have sorrow and remorse for your sin. As the years have passed, the people typically are using, this is nationwide, are not coming down. In fact, a lot of churches have quit their altar calls. They've just quit them. Why? Nobody responded anymore. Years when I was a kid, they used to fill the altar up with crying. People would be weeping down here. Not not this place, but weeping. And and I remember old preachers getting up there and making 45-minute altar calls, and people would be coming down. And we, there was a sense of remorse about their sin. They didn't care what anybody thought. They didn't care who's, who in the church thought they were weak or thought they would be. Some people will sit back there, and they'll be, this will be in any church you ever go to, and go, boy, they must be weak-minded going down there. I don't have to do that. No, you're backslid. They're right with God. You're hard-hearted. They're right with God. I'd rather be accused of being too sensitive to God than I would be sitting back there being hard as a rock. Amen. If you'd worry a whole lot less about your pride and what people thought about you and worry a whole lot more what God thought about you and where he's at in your life, you'd be a whole lot better off. And that's good preaching right there. We have a light attitude about God. Well, I did some bad things. I guess I've made some mistakes. Man, don't call sin a mistake. Call sin what God calls it. It's sin. It's a crime against him. The altar calls are drying up nationwide. Our dignity has replaced our humility. Our pride has replaced shame. Our respectability has replaced public confession. When we have public confession here at Gospel, I can't tell you how many people say that. I've never seen that in a church the whole time I've been going to church. Public confession is not some, should not be something unusual in a church. John the Baptist says, I'm not going to baptize you unless you publicly confess your sin. And by the way, there was nobody greater than John the Baptist ever been born a woman. And he said, he had them coming down to the river. The Pharisees came down there and go, now, wait a minute now. I'm respectable, educated, got theological doctrine. I don't think I need to be confessing my sin. And he said, oh, how about you go show forth some fruits of repentance because I ain't baptizing you. He didn't baptize him. <clears throat> Ezra, when confronted with his sins, the sin of his people said, I love, turn to this. This is, this is just beautiful. I told you about this before. The book of Ezra, chapter 9, verse 6. 9 6. It's a great verse. This is a great, this is a summation statement. He said in verse 6 there, and he said, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities, that's ingrained 
sinful habits. Ingrained sinful habits. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up to the heavens. Jeremiah talks about the, the people of his day, and it says in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 3, and, and hast thou a whore's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. In chapter 6, verse 15, he says, we, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. I believe it's a preacher's job to point out the sins of the people, the sins the Bible talks about, and we should, by the grace of God, be ashamed of them when the Holy Spirit puts a finger on our area of sin. Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 10 says, Thou son of man, show the house of show to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. In other words, that was the preacher's job, Ezra. Or Ezekiel, chapter 43. Preach to them so that they would be ashamed of their iniquity. Paul, in the church to the Thessalonica, challenges the members there to exclude certain disobedient people. And why did he tell them to do that? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, it says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. Why would they do that? I've had preachers tell me, brother, I don't do church discipline. We're not into getting rid of folks. We're into getting folks. So a a Christian can do anything, break any kind of of sin and law of God, and and, and they'll come in his place. He even even allowed a a, a so-called Christian that was living with a woman to be a member of his church, voting member of the church, local. That's local, by the way. God forbid. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3.14, and have no company with him that they may be ashamed. God is not done. Repentance with God is not done when you're going to say, oh, Lord, hey, you know me. I'm, I'm bad on this. I make all kinds of mistakes. Please forgive me. And go on down the road like nothing's happened. If you don't have a sense of shame and a sense of remorse, you don't have God's repentance. You don't have godly sorrow, which worketh repentance unto salvation. You don't have that. And the only kind, Jim Benny was saying this over and over, one of the biggest problems he has in his counseling is he can show people that their sin, and they can recognize their sin, but he cannot bring them to a place of godly sorrow. That's God and them. That's got to be done between God and them. And he says, oftentimes they'll leave my counseling, they'll understand that they've sinned against God, it is clear to them, but they have repentance that they lost their job, repentance that they lost their reputation, repentance that it, it had to happen in their family, that it's embarrassed them, but they never get repentance that God wants, which is sorrow, godly sorrow, vertical repentance, like David had. When you sin against, when you sin against God, there should be remorse. Healthy repentance involves it. Those laughing on their way down to the altar at, 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 at uh, invitation time are very unlikely to find God there when they get there. Those that are too proud to kneel and ask God to help them 
to live better lives for him are very likely to live barren lives instead of godly lives. They're not going to get better lives. They're not going to get God's help because they have no real serious internal remorse about what they did. Could this whole non-confrontational, no-altar-called movement, is it possible that this is based on pride and self-respect? Is possible? Is that why people aren't moving? Ask, answer me. Why? Why aren't people sorrowful and mournful about their disobediences? The teaching of the New Testament is one of dying to self, not pampering self. Philippians 3.8 says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. It's not about me. I had a t-shirt at home that says, It's all about me. I don't wear it. When I preached of Bob Jones, I held that T-shirt up. Had all of 6,000 students or so say, it's all about me, about four times in the sermon. Because that's a lot of the problem. I thank God that some old evangelists used to beg during our invitation time, beg us to come forward and get right with God. I thank God that he cared enough to sing Amazing Grace. I thank God that the pleading and encouraging and emotional outpourings of it all I hate to say this, but there are folks that haven't visited the altar in years. In years. They say, brother, my knees are bad. I can't kneel down. I know exactly what that's like. I had gout. I had gout to where my knees were so bad I could not even touch them. And I didn't kneel down at that point. I'd come up and I'd stand or whatever. Or sometimes I would kneel down in pain. It's not all about me, whether I'm comfortable. Brother Benny made a suggestion, by the way, in our church here that we put, he said we should put some, uh, some padding, right, some padding here so that people can kneel on that and not on the floor. I said, I appreciate that, Brother Benny, but I think a good old floor kneeling is what we need. We don't need no more padding in America. Man, we don't need more comfort. We don't need to make this thing any more comfortable. Well, others, others have wept over their sins. <clears throat> maybe, maybe you've grumbled over how long the service is running. Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. While souls mourn and demonstrate remorse over grieving God's Holy Spirit, is it possible that you despise them as weak and cheap emotional display? You stood back in your self-righteous little kingdom? And said that, I see them go down every week. There must be something wrong with them. It could be they're just right with God. You're not. It could be. You say, brother, you got to go forward to be right with God. No, you don't. But surely sometime, somewhere in the preaching of a year, God's going to come by and shake you. And surely you're not so hard-hearted that in a whole year of preaching, that the word of God's not going to get into your soul and you're going to say, God, have mercy on me. And just without the preacher even saying a word, come down here on instinct. 
Because you just want to get before God and get some mercy. You say, I'm not that bad. That's the trouble. When's the last time you had godly sorrow? When's the last time you sat by yourself and wept over your wickedness and your thought life and your vile mouth and your words and your hurtfulness? When's the last time your spirit was upset about that? You know what revival is? Revival is when God's people get a sense of remorse over their sin. And you don't have to beg them. I like what God said to Moses. If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? In other words, they, and basically they wanted to whitewash that whole deal. Miriam and Aaron had literally come against Moses who was chosen by God. Remember, when you come against God's chosen, you're not coming against the chosen. You're coming against the God who chose. <clears throat> be well. Be well warned about that. And they thought, well, we disagree. You know, didn't, hasn't God spoken by us? And the answer being, yeah, he's spoken by you, and he's spoken by And 250 other elders got caught up in that whole thing. Korah got caught up in that whole thing. People that weren't stupid people, people that were leadership, people that were quality people got caught up in that whole thing and kept challenging that thing. And I don't know how many people God finally had to kill before he realized, I guess Moses is the leader. And... They wanted to whitewash it, didn't they? And so Moses said, Lord, heal them. And God said, no. No. We ain't, you're gonna get, you ain't just going to go for God. Oh, please forgive me. I had a kid, 26-year-old young man, come to me one day. Maybe the worst. I've told this example over and over again because I'm still amazed by it. He came to me, and he had been to Bible school a couple years. <clears throat> And he came back from Bible school, and he said to me, he says, you know, I'm still single. And he said, uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, trying to word this delicately. But he said, I'm hormonally poisoned, and I'm going to go out and have sex with a girl. And I said, wow, you can't do that. I said, God will forgive me. Just that lightly. Just that lightly. He said, I know the Bible. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, God will forgive me. I looked at him and says, I don't think you got it. I worry right now, I'm worried whether you're saved, Mr. Theologian. Are you even saved? Have you no fear? If daddy spits in the girl's face, she should be ashamed seven days. And I'm the God of all that is. And you have rebuked my choice. Seven days you're going to be out there with that filthy, rotten, stinky, 
leprosy that smells like a walking dead body. And you're going to remember what you did. And then I'll heal you. And you come back. Folks, let's not treat God like he's your buddy, buddy. And he's your best everything. Just, oh, well, you know, he'll forgive me. You are... Not, you may not, first of all, you may not have the birth that God says you're supposed to have to be saved with that kind of attitude. That's just such a hard, cold, dead attitude. It's death. We worship a holy God, a sweet, holy God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's just the very beginning of it. It's just the inception of wisdom. And as we get older in the Lord, of course, more and more, we would have that grow, right? Your fear of the Lord would grow. In fact, if a person's right where he ought to be with God, little things that you violate God on become big things with you. Not big things become little, but little violations become big with you. I remember Pastor McKinney years ago, they had a huge mound of dirt. Some of you old timers may remember this. They had a huge mound of dirt where that curve is. They had a huge mound of dirt, the DOT. It was DOT dirt. And they had, I don't even know where they got it, but they, they stored their dirt there. It was a big mountain of dirt. It's almost as tall as in here. It's a huge mountain of dirt. Well, we had been given this property by Chris Powell, and, and uh, we were thrilled to death, and we were starting to build McKinney Hall, but this thing needed to be filled three feet. Now, I, now most of you know three feet of fields is bad. That's a lot of fill. Three feet. We couldn't even build unless we put three foot. And that was three foot of fill over all of this area here. Because this thing was underwater when it rained. <clears throat> and so Pastor McKinney, God bless him, he's an old Irishman, you know. He went over. They, they were removing that mountain of dirt over there. Uh, I, I suppose because Chris Powell must have bought the land. I don't know quite know what that, but either did Chris buy that corner over what land? You don't have to tell me. Well, something happened. And they were removing that mountain of dirt. And the DOT people, the state or, or the county, whatever, whoever owned it, were removing the dirt. And so, oh, Pastor McKinney saw the dump truck starting to go over there and remove that dirt and then go down the road and disappear. And he says, hey, I got an idea. I'll go over there to them dump truck drivers and say, where are you taking this dirt? And he says, we're taking this dirt and we're getting rid of it. We're just getting rid of it. The, the DOT said, just get rid of the dirt. We don't want it. Get rid of it. He goes, He says, we want it. We want it. We're right here. They were just over there where the 7-Eleven's at, and we're, we're here. He says, what would you, what could I give you per load if you would just, instead of take it where you're taking it now, you just bring it here? Oh, he said, uh, 30 bucks a load or something like that. I says, he says, you got it. So he had them remove all of that dirt over there and bring it here. And it filled this whole area. It filled a big area here, all the way from the front, all the way past. And it filled this area three feet deep. That's how much dirt it was. Pastor McKinney, not long after that happened, came to me and called me in a room. And he said, I have sinned against God. Sixty-year-old, sixty-three, two-three-year-old man started weeping in front of me. I'm twenty-eight, twenty-nine-year-old guy. He starts weeping and weeping like he had killed somebody, weeping just like he had killed somebody. He said, "I'm unworthy to be a preacher. I should never have been a pastor. I 
That wasn't our dirt. That wasn't our dirt. That was wrong. I said it was wrong. Because those people hauling it didn't own it. Somebody else owned it. He never went to the owner and got permission to get the dirt. Possibly if he had gone to the owner, he could have got permission to get the dirt, but he never did. He just asked the guy to haul it just to divert where he was dumping it over to here. So we're sitting on stolen dirt. And I'll never forget that old boy weeping. He did more for me that night. When I saw a spirit of remorse in that man and a tenderness to the Holy Spirit over really, they were dumping it. I guess they were, eventually we, we investigated some. They were just getting rid of it. Nobody was buying it. And so the guy making the 30 bucks, he was getting double dipping. He was happy. And I said, preacher, let's ask God to help us. And so he asked God, boy, in prayer, asked God to forgive him. Please forgive me for that. Man, I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. He went to the deacons, two deacons, two deacons, Ernie and uh, Jim, and, and confessed that to him and talked to him about it. And uh, we investigated to try to pay for it. Nobody was. Nobody said they owned it. Nobody wanted the money, and we never could get it. So we never did pay for it because we never found anybody to pay. What am I telling you that for? He was tender. He wasn't worried about me. He wasn't worried about the church. He was worried about the God who called him. Is that you tonight? Or are you more concerned about your reputation or what people think? That that shouldn't be on your priority. It should be what's this way right here. Why don't I cheat when I go fishing? Why did we never take a short lobster out of 30 years? Why do I pay all my taxes and add in for, for tips that... I don't get tips. I don't really get tips preaching, but... I'm talking about, I get some tips. They tell me where to go. But uh, when I laid forward, I mean, why do I pay all my, I even had a couple hundred dollars extra just in case I forgot to add the tips into my income. Why did I, every dime I, I reported to the government, why? Why did I never take my, my uh, the carpet store's pad or carpet that was left over? Why did I always take that back to him? Why? It's vertical. It's about living for Jesus. It's about, why have I been faithful to my wife when I've been tempted not to be? Why am I going to stick with her even through her change? That ain't easy. I've been married to four or five women already. All been named Kathy Moore. All the men said? Of course, we men, we never change, right? We don't have a change of life. We change life. <clears throat> if you don't get if you don't get why you're living for Jesus, you're going to fail and be a victim, not a victor. You will not be more than conqueror in him that loved you. 
you will be a victim and a defeated person. You've got to live because it's right. In the shadows of the privacy, the imagery of my mind, God knows what I'm thinking. And that's what I care about. That's what you need to care about. Anybody that is where God wants them to be, it's this. That's why the preacher may be preaching on something and the Spirit will come by and convict you about Pastor McKinney before communion sometime would come to me weeping. He'd say, oh man, I said something mean to somebody and i got to get right with God. I told you he was one of the best Christians I ever knew. Why? He was tender to this. He was vertically tender. Boy, that's where I want to be. Father, we pray that you'd help us tonight. To be able to see it. Help us to see it. Help us not to harden our hearts. Help us not to... We don't come forward in an invitation time for show. We don't come for other people. We come because it's vertical. We have a sense of remorse. We have a sense of brokenness. We have a sense of contrite spirit. We have a sense that we violated you and hurt you when you've been nothing but good to us. Provided salvation for us. Heaven for us. Everything good for us. We're struggling, Father. Help us to have godly sorrow that worketh repentance unto salvation that not to be repented of. Father, do your work tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You come to business.
Sure.